In six months, the IRS agent scared the devil out of more people than either of you did in a long lifetime. Now, you've heard that over and over, and you'll probably hear it again. But uh, it has a good message. I think the same, was the same story with a similar punchline is told about a taxi driver in New York City who went in before ministers. But whatever story you like, the fact is that we understand that we are supposed to be gathering people up with us to go to heaven as we live our lives. The, the motto of this church... And we don't say it a lot because saying a motto doesn't change your behavior necessarily. Our motto is every member a minister. I was thrilled the other day and I was overhearing a conversation and I was hearing about these people and they were, it was you, they were talking about every member serving. And it was like, well, how'd that happen, you know? It wasn't because we picked that as a motto it's because we take seriously what Jesus told us to do about lost people another way to say that is our goal as a congregation my goal as a as a person who wants to equip you and lead you our goal is that this will be a church without walls we speak so often of uh, the church and we, we think of it as being focused in this particular building, on this particular hill. I was talking on the phone last night to some people who live in another city, but they in the past had come to this church, and uh, I was just checking on them, see how they were doing, and I'd been praying for some family member, and I hadn't talked to them in months. And so I called them, and, and this gal was just pouring it on about how wonderful you are. And what a blessed place. And, and she said... We love everything about Crown Point. And she complimented me, and then she complimented... I think that she complimented me after she complimented Jeff and the music and, and your friendliness and love to them when they were part of this congregation. And uh, it, was, it was all kind of like focused right here. Well, I mean, that's where we knew that family, and so that's okay. But the contrast is... Wonderful when we get here, you know. Uh, and by the way, you you are the welcoming committee. And if we are a friendly church, it's because you are friendly. And sometimes we are a friendly church. You know, I mean, it's up to you. I can't be a friendly church. When I'm friendly, they figure I'm paid to do that. And if they don't even, if they don't put that trip on me, they say, well, he's a friendly pastor. Not a friendly church. I can't be a friendly church. How can I be a friendly church? So anyway, just a little jab there. That, that was free. Uh, you say, no, it wasn't. I already paid. Well, thank you. Anyway, uh, we want to be what we ought to be when we're on this property. We want to be full of joy, full of love, full of acceptance. When you come in here, if there is any way the Holy Spirit will help you do this, you get up out of the misery that you've been living in and you begin to look around and see who it is that you might be able to love and help heal or just make feel welcome. This is the body language. Yes. And if you're not doing that on the inside, um, not necessary to do it on the outside, just do it on the inside anyway.
Now, Jesus was being tested by those who disagreed with him and thought that he was trouble. And in Luke the 10th chapter, we read, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he thought Jesus was going to do some kind of uh, heretical thing because he thought Jesus was a heretic and, and a huge threat, not just a loser, but he thought he was a threat to their whole future as a nation. And Jesus just put the question back to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Good job, Jesus said. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. <clears throat> well, this is nice and clean and Jesus is coming out smelling like a rose and he wants to do something to justify himself and if possible to get Jesus in a bad light. So he says, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that, the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. When he had put the man on his own donkey, took him to an end and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus continues, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law uh, I suppose, you know, the one who had mercy on him. And then comes the challenge to him and to all people who want to follow God and do the right thing. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise is what Jesus laid on him. Now, let me go back and pick out a few points of Jesus' story. The trip from... Jerusalem to Jericho was an, a change of elevation of about 35, 3,600 feet. Jericho is below sea level, um, around uh, 1,300 feet below sea level, and Jerusalem is about 2,300 feet above sea level. So when they talk about going up to Jerusalem, this is, this is a story told by people on foot. It was going up to Jerusalem. And um, so they, it was a dangerous trip. The guy shouldn't have been uh, alone, but uh, perhaps this is not even a real story. Perhaps this was a hypothetical, a, a parable. And Jesus says the man got in trouble to the extent that some uh, hooligans grabbed him, robbed him, beat him half to death. Actually, left him naked, stripped him of his clothes. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. Now, when you read that, do you see a Catholic priest in a clerical collar? That's American, okay? Um, it's not talking about a Catholic priest. Some of the greatest Christians I've ever known, among 
one of the, the top five Christians I've ever known in my life was a Catholic priest. His testimony was I was 33 years old and I was ordained before I met Jesus Christ. I was born again and he was speaking to a bunch of us, a small bunch of us in the, in the clerical uh, circle of that little town. And one of the guys later gave his testimony and he didn't know whether it was a God or not. So this, this Catholic priest says, if you don't know what I mean when I say born again, you need to, and this is a quote, you need to get with it, end of quote. Uh, he was just a radical Jesus freak before Vatican II and got himself into a lot of trouble. Didn't last long in a place because he was so spiritual. I mean, truly spiritual. He would do okay now because Vatican II came along and it was okay to reach out and sort of touch those outside the Catholic Church. And if you're a Catholic, I don't want this to be offensive. This is history, okay? Uh, if you don't like it, about the Catholic Church, or if you don't like it, what I'm saying, you need to just put that aside and hear the message here. This was not a Catholic priest. This was a Jewish priest who was from the line of Aaron, and uh, he was from the tribe of Levi and the clan of Aaron. And actually, they they refined it even uh, finer than that. It, he was from the clan of Kohath. And... Uh, if you ever see a Jewish name, Cohen, C-O-H-E-N, that's probably a reference back to Kohath. And uh, if you're interested in this, there's a whole study of that in your Bible. Read it sometime. And uh, this Cohen this came down and he was obligated to keep himself ceremonially clean. That, that's a, it's a legitimate term under the... Uh, relationship they had with their faith at that time and here is the problem Jesus had him go around on the other side which he did because this guy was so near death that if he touched him he was forbidden to touch a dead body it was against the law and so we've, we've made a bad deal out of him and because Jesus did. And so Jesus is right. But I just want you to know that there was a legitimate intellectual excuse. It worked fine in the head. Didn't do much for the su suffering man. As a matter of fact, didn't do anything for him. But saved him for the Samaritan, I guess. And the Levite, many of them, and those especially that were... Ob that were uh, assigned to work in the temple, the Levites were uh, those who who did the chores around the temple, from cleaning it all the way to the, the musicians. And they had professional musicians, and they were they were fantastic. They could do it, and so he he had the same obligation. He had to stay away from this guy, and uh, so he did. You know. It's great to have an excuse not to help people, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? And they had a good excuse. Better than yours. Better than mine. And then the Samaritan was this guy who was uh, really not even Jewish. These people in Samaria had been resettled from other countries when the Hebrew folks, the Israelis... Were, were deported by the Assyrian king. There was a few of the poor left there, but almost none. He imported others and settled, resettled people that he had conquered in other kingdoms and brought them into what is now um, 
Judea and Samaria, or mostly Samaria, in, in the Holy Land now. So, uh, these people, uh, in the story, if, you, if you've read the... Did you ever read the book? Read the book. Uh, the movie's good, the book's better. <clears throat> I've already used that, haven't I? Anyway, I thought it was cute. It was cute the first time. The, um, when they resettled in there, lions began to attack them and kill them. And the word was sent back to the king. These people don't know how to worship God in that country. And so they got some people they had deported from that kingdom and taken away. They brought them back to teach them how to worship God. But they, the scripture says they still worshiped their idols. So they did this to keep the lions from eating them. But they did this because this is where their commitment was and their faith was. Well, after a few generations, this all just kind of got mixed in together. And they were telling uh, everybody that the holy mountain was in Samaria. And the Jews didn't buy that, didn't even start to buy that. And you can read about some of this prejudice in the fourth chapter of John where Jesus met this Samaritan gal at Jacob's well. And uh, Jesus uh, was not dealing with theology. As a matter of fact, he corrected this old gal's theology. In John 4, she said, he said, you got this wrong. Salvation is of the Jews. But there's something larger coming. And here is where, here is where we need to really understand. What was coming was someone that was as messed up and mixed up as a Samaritan could become a hero in the kingdom of God. These people had a screwed up theology. It wasn't worth listening to. They believed the Messiah was coming, and that's about the only thing they had right. They did, finally, they put away their idols and believed in, in one God, and so they had those two things going. That was it. Everything else was just kind of convoluted and all twisted and turned as far as the truth is concerned. So, here's this guy who, from that background comes along and he sees this guy and he stops to see if he's looking at a at a corpse or at a really messed up body that's still living and he concluded it was the latter he goes over and assesses the situation he has wine which is antiseptic he has olive oil which would just be comforting and uh, softening for the wounds and the dried blood and so forth. And he cleaned him up. He must have had a change of clothes because he, he clothed him and took him uh, on his own beast to the nearest uh, hotel, got a room for him, paid in advance for, for several days, told the innkeeper that I'll be back and if you've spent anything more on him, I will reimburse you. I'll take care of this guy. Who's, who was the neighbor Jesus said? Well, I guess the guy that helped him. You know, they were just about to choke. He, he wouldn't say Samaritan. Did you notice that he wouldn't say Samaritan? Well, the Samaritan. Well, no, Samaritans just didn't do anything good. So he had to use a euphemism and just describe his, his behavior. I guess the one that had mercy on him. And Jesus said, yep, that's right. You go and do likewise. Now... When we, get, when we get to this man over here, we have these choices. There's always, 
And if you can't think up of a good logical reason to not help people, check with me. I can make excuses and I can rationalize until the world looks level. If you don't have that gift, I've got enough for both of us. Just check with me and I can, I can ease your conscience for not doing anything for this guy. Okay? So I'm offering my services. I hope I don't get <laughs> anyone taking me up on that offer, but, but I can do that. I, I, you heard me because I did the research, you see, and found out about the priest and the Levite touching a guy that might be about to die and you just can't take the chance because if he died, then you'd be in, in breaking the law and you'd have to go through a whole process to get cleaned. Um, and it, it just, it took a whole week, you know, it's just a hassle. So I can help you with your rationalization if you don't, if you don't have that capability. Yours is probably better than mine, but if it's not. Now, here's the deal. We know... That when someone's in trouble, that we owe everyone. Intellectually, we know that. I owe everyone. We have picked up the words of Paul, I am a debtor to all men. And he says, I will become, I will bend my lifestyle, not to unrighteousness, not to sin, but I will bend my lifestyle so that I can relate. And I don't, Barry, I don't think he may have meant this, but... It, it, it might be an extreme application of this. I might become a Missouri fan to win a Missouri fan. Now, just think about it. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. That's just a thought. Um, I will, I'm, I'm willing. He says, I owe everyone. And I'm going to do what I can all the time so that I might by all means win some. I want to be standing before God having won some people to the cause of Jesus Christ and to eternal life in the Savior. That's, that's what he was doing. And, and we've tried to pick that up and, and make that ours here. We owe everyone. And we, we do not target everyone. You, if you're new here, you notice that we do not target people who like old hymns in our music. Because we don't have old hymns in our music. We have some newer hymns that are less than 100 years old, and, but you don't get very many of those. So if, if you love that and you don't understand what our purpose and our target is, you might feel excluded. I'm, they don't do my music there. No, and there's a reason, and I'll get to that later. Not in this sermon, later this month. But, um, you see, we... If, if we wanted to target people like that, a simple change in music style would make it easier for them to come into this room and join in with us and they might find Jesus Christ. You see that? And they're worth winning. We owe them, but we're not trying to reach them as our number one target. And you've got to understand this. Though we owe everyone, we are not targeting everyone. There's a good reason for that. Jesus spoke to me about 32 years ago Holy Spirit spoke to me I can take you to the place in the old sanctuary over on Blue Ridge Cutoff at Central Assembly and what he said was 
because I was doing all I could to reach everyone I could. And we were going to be like Sheffield Assembly. We were going to have a whole picture of the whole community. And bless God, you hear George Westlake, uh, Papa George, talk about that. And he makes it sound really holy that you do that. And I respect that. And I love him. He's a dear friend. This is not to make fun of him. And I had heard George talking about that. And we were buddies. And, and we did some things together. And so, you know, I just did that. And he said, why don't you just reach the people I've... I've equipped you to reach, raised you up to reach. And I said, okay, you know, okay. Well, 10 years ago last summer, we had changed in the meantime. I led the charge. We had decided that because our neighborhood changed there around the property of Central Assembly, that we were going to reach our neighborhood, and that was a change, and we were not equipped to reach them. And we did everything we could to reach them. And they would come to our, our outreaches and they would join in with us. And they were wonderful. They were precious. I, I uh, canvassed that, that whole area three times myself. And one Saturday I was going from door to door and I couldn't get my territory covered because they knew who I was and they were dragging me inside to give me a prayer request or to have me pray for somebody or to give me a testimony. It was a great morning except I didn't get much territory covered. They loved us, but they would not come to our church. And so, 10 years ago, right in the middle of the summer, the Lord said to me identically the same words that he had said in that sanctuary so many years before. Why don't you just reach the people I've raised you up to reach? And I want you to know, I I, I love it when God speaks to me, but if he's having to repeat himself, I feel like a fool I feel like, oh my goodness, how stupid do you have to be for God to have to say something to you twice? Now, the Lord does not say, well, I'm, just only, I'm only going to speak once or I'm only going to speak twice. He will speak to you every day to try to save you if he has to do that. He's trying to get you in. So don't say, well, I'm going to wear him out and he won't ever speak to me again. Uh, don't count on it. Holy Spirit is probably tougher than you are. Hallelujah. And some of you have thought, well, you know... There's a bunch of you that have thought, you know what? I've committed the impardonable sin. A whole bunch of you have thought that. And you've thought that over a period of time, not just a thought. And you know what? That's just a lie of the devil. There is an unpardonable sin. The scripture makes it very clear. And you haven't committed it. And you can't get away from the God who is set out to get you. And you can go to hell if you want to. He will not crush your free will. But he will make it really tough for you to get to hell. He is out to save you, honey. And you can rest in that. You go ahead and do what you think is right. You go ahead and follow him and do what you think is right and what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and what the Scripture says. And get over, But get over this guilt thing, okay? So the Lord spoke to me again about that, and, and I said, okay. And in my heart, I said... You're not going to have to hear that again because you're going to do what he said. So when we moved out here, it was about five years after that that we moved, a little bit less than five years, we landed on this hill and we are focused on the people that God has raised us up. That's the reason we do our, our music like we do. That's the reason I don't have on a tie. I look better in a white shirt and tie. Have you noticed? And you know what? It's not about how I look. That's not why we're here. It, I... And my attire are not what we are. I don't care 
what I'm supposed to wear. If I, if I were supposed to wear a tuxedo or a clerical collar or um, what is that, what is that uh, shirt that if you've got muscles, it's called a muscle shirt, but it's a uh, tank top. That's it. Tank top and shorts and sandals. I don't care what I'm supposed to wear. Just tell me. Okay, we decided that this was the attire that would make our neighbors and your neighbors most comfortable in this room. That's the reason I look as badly as I do. Well, not altogether. I mean, my clothes look as badly as, as they do. The rest of me, I mean, it's a whole other story. But um, that's why we're here. That's what we're about. And it is wonderful to know what God wants and to be focused on that. And if you're not a part of this congregation and you can't buy into that deal, I want to urge you to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, do you really want me there? And if he doesn't say, yes, I really do, then you find one of the great churches in this area and, and make a commitment to their vision because this is our vision and it's not negotiable. I've already heard from the Lord twice on it, and I promised myself I wouldn't have to hear that again. We're going to stay with what God said, and we're going to try to read it. Now, again, we owe everyone. Please don't think, take, think this is exclusive, but we are not targeting everyone because we're just not equipped to do it. As the story came out of Chicago in 2001, uh, a rundown house with a lot of weeds and looked like it was abandoned and finally came up for auction because of back taxes someone bought the house they went in to clean it up and what they found was horrifying instead of finding an old rundown house they actually found a man's body named adolf stick who had apparently died of natural causes sitting alone in his reading chair right next to adolf stick was a newspaper it was 2001 when they found him and the newspaper was dated Four years early, 1997. Apparently, this man had been dead four years and no one even noticed. Not a neighbor, not a relative, not a friend. How does someone die and no one notice? Number two. In Romans, the 15th chapter, we read... We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, I went to the scripture because it has the word neighbor in it. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, that speaks to us. And, of course, I immediately, when I read that, thought of this passage in John 13. Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet. This was the night before he died. He put his... his uh, coat he had he had stripped down to this uh toga-like uh, tunic they called it and uh put his his outer clothes on returned to his place and said do you understand what i've done for you you call me teacher and lord and rightly so for that is what i am now that i your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater uh, than the one who sent him. And then it, we get again to the punchline that Jesus does so well. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We are called, dear one, 
to deal with our neighbor. And in that, in that Romans passage, it seems to me like that's inside the church more than anything else. And certainly Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, so this was inside the fellowship. But the, but the picture has to be taken in the larger context. Now, he said, wash each other's feet. And I don't want you to wash my feet, okay? If you are good at shining shoes and would like to shine my shoes, they need help. But I, I wash my feet early in the day, usually. Have a ritual I go through. Used to go the same ritual. And it's, uh, if we were being sprinkled, we could call it a baptism. Just have a tape running in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. No. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going to stay on the subject here. You didn't think that was funny anyway. You're really slow. No. Here's the deal. We owe it to each other. I owe you to wash your feet, to take care of you, to do the needs for you that are too menial, too unpleasant for someone else to do. That's my job. It kind of does away with the high exalted minister, you know, in blood squad and that's the reason I don't drive my own car. I pull up in a limo and get out and come in the side door. And, and they, here's pastor. And I come running out. That's the reason we do it that way. You see, if, if I don't have a relationship with you, I, I, you're not going to let me wash your feet. You're not, you're not, you're not going to let me know that your feet are dirty. Right? You have a need, and I'm this larger than life, whatever. You're not gonna I'm not gonna get to minister to you. Jesus was just nose to nose with these guys, and the context, the larger context that I was talking about is this that in less than twenty four hours he was already in the grave, having died for our sins, having done the ultimate Foot washing. If you want to know what foot washing is, Jesus showed us right after he did the physical stuff. Then he seriously washed feet in less than a day. He washed the feet of every person that had ever lived, was alive then, or ever lived after him. And will live. Last part of Romans 11 and Philip's translation says, For God has pinned all men in the prison house of disobedience so that he might have mercy upon them all. Those are the people whose feet he washed. To say it a better way, they, he washed their lives free from the awfulness of sin, selfishness, rebellion, all of the crud that we pick up and, and glue to ourselves by our self-centeredness. He made it possible for that to be scrubbed clean. Gone. And if you will come to him, there's not even a record kept in God's presence of your sin. You talk about foot washing. That kind of takes it to another level, doesn't it? But we can't take away people's sin. But we can lead them to the one who can do that. So, who is my neighbor? I want you to take your service bulletin out. And I made a place there for you to, to let the Holy Spirit begin to speak. Now, don't start writing. Who is my neighbor? And um, on the 
first page of the, that note section, there is that question posed, and then there is a place for you to write some names. And I'd like for us to just pause here in the presence of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, did the ultimate foot washing for us. Let's just pause. Would you just bow your heads a moment? Lord, would you, would you show us whom we should place in this, this place of prominence in our lives that we think you are giving us as a neighbor and we're supposed to take care of them in a way similar to that which the Samaritan took care of the, the robber victim in the name of the Lord Jesus. Show us that. Amen. And then I want us to, to go, before you write any names down, just let the Holy Spirit soak you a minute. And I want to ask this question. What am I, what am I going to do about reaching this person? Then I say something about stuff. What stuff can I give up? The rest of that bulletin. What stuff can I give up? We cram our lives full of everything. We are just filled with activities. And so much of that has, has a basic selfish twist in there somewhere. We're doing this because we love it. Um, and some of your lives are filled with activity trying to take care of your kids. And God bless you, you better take care of them. Because if you don't, selfishness will, and they'll crash and burn. So do take care of them, but boy, we can get awfully busy. I remember what a relief it was when Pam got her driver's license. And she could haul herself and Christy around to their activities. And some of you have the same feeling. Like, man, I need some help here. When are you going to be 16? And I know we're afraid for them to get their driver's license because we know how we were when we were 16. But, um, you know, we'll just get more insurance and the whole neighborhood insurance goes up. And No, that's, that, it's not true, kids. It's not true. Well, it might ultimately be true. But See, we're busy. We are busy. And if you, I was thinking about this. If, if some activity in my life stops and I am given an hour or two in my week, I promptly set about and fill it up with something that's not flexible that I have to do. Because we're not, Americans are workers. This nation was built on hard work, long hours of work. Long before there was ever automation, we did it with, with shovels. We did it with whatever. I mean, it was by hand. And automation has helped us so that we don't have to work as long, only... We are now, as a nation, working harder than we have for two or three generations. Do you know that? Long hours. Why? Well, partly, that's what makes us good. In the U.S., you meet somebody, and if you're really interested in them, before three or four sentences goes by, you will have said, what do you do? Which means, what's your job? We care. It is important to us what People do for a living. You remember that little uh, silly uh, <laughs> vocal entertainer, popular thing. I don't. I, I think they were just pop singer. I don't think it was country. And they were. They'd spent some time in Europe, and they were. They were. They were looking down this little silly pug, but it should have been long nose. Um, 
And they said, they're just so much classier in Europe. You can talk all evening and they'll never ask you what you do for your job. No, they ask you about your breeding. They ask you about what level you're on. They, will, they know the right kind of questions to find out what class you fit in. Hello? Europeans are not classier than we are. They're smart enough not to work as hard as we do. But then they, they put emphasis on where you were born. And they're, they're awful about that. It's really hard to break those, those uh, lines between the various strata of society. You didn't know that was there? Make a study of it. Prove me wrong. Now, here's the deal. The little old gal had just listened to table conversation around in the U.S. and everybody talks about work because that's kind of where we get our status. And if you're making a lot of money doing fairly simple menial work, you still get a lot of respect because you make that much money. So it kind of goes back not only to work but to how much you're making working, right? But you know what? That's not what's important here. What is important is what has God called me to? What is he doing? What is he saying? We need to do what Jesus said to this teacher of the law who asked him about who his neighbor was. We need to go and do likewise the way the Samaritan did with this victim over here. We belong to the work of God. Now, on that second page of the service bulletin, there was stuff I can give up. Is that what that says? Something like that. I've got a copy here. I can just read it. Stuff something. Stuff I can change. Stuff I can change. Okay, stuff I can change. What can I change? Well, I, you know, you've got to keep your job. Yes, do keep your job, especially today. Uh, you know, we're moving toward a capital campaign. Keep your job because we need your money. Uh, <clears throat> And besides, you're, you've grown accustomed to eating and sleeping where it's kind of warm and having running water when you want to wash your feet early in the morning. So you need to pay the rent or the house payment or they'll move you out. Now, here's the deal. We belong to God. Our series uh, for the month of January was How to Die to Self. And then I hear myself talking about this stuff I can change. It's like my stuff is so important to me and it's going to stop when I die. It'll be all over. Be done. Someone else may pick it up, but it'll become theirs. They may say, I'm doing this for Pastor Newby or if it's one of my kids, I'm doing this for Dad. Well, whatever, but it's really not. I mean, I'm not getting anything anymore. I'm done. Death is kind of like that, you know. So what can I change so that I have time to live for God? Did you ever hear that term? That's a pretty decent term. Live for God. Your neighbors are going to hell. Part of them, part of them are going to hell. And I live in a, a, on a cul-de-sac. It's kind of a long cul-de-sac. And I guess there are 12 or 15 houses 
on this dead-end street. And I have canvassed it with the little door hangers and all that stuff. Because they, they make me do that, you know. I go to this church and they make me promote these special events. And what I like to do, instead of just hanging out on the door, is see if they're home and just say hi. We've lived there over five years now. And, and we keep our grass sort of good. And as a matter of fact, much better than most of them. But, but that's... <laughs> At least I'm not ashamed of my yard, okay? Anyway, um, you know, and so I just want to meet them. And uh, my goodness, 40% of those people go to church fairly regularly. They really do. It's, a, it's a, an easy neighborhood in the sense of there's just not much bad stuff going on. But you know what? You can even be going to church regularly and not be ready for heaven. And the Holy Spirit needs someone who can be there to just love them, to just love them, just put his... Do you know how you're a neighbor to people? Did you get that out of the story? You go over and you start relieving their pain and making their wounds less liable to infection by disinfecting them. And then you begin to minister in ways that they cannot take care of themselves. You do it for them. Now, we're talking almost entirely this morning about uh, emotional and spiritual stuff. If there's physical stuff and you can help them out, for goodness sakes, what a way to have an open door. Now, this is not new, is it? You're saying, okay, where's the fun punchline? I'm sorry, this is it. This is it. We are the neighbor. We are the one that owes these people. And we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And our salvation is not going to... If you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, that's in 2 Corinthians 5, um, you're saved. You wouldn't be there if you're not saved. So you're saved. But you are going to give an account for... Your works for being a neighbor, if you will. And church, let me get you to do this. Stuff I can change. If nothing else, right there, say, I will pray every day asking God to show me whom I should speak to, to whom I should reach out. I'm going to make my mind open every day. If you don't write anything else on the stuff I can change section, say, I'm going to ask God every day. Because this, we are the church without walls, supposedly. That's the will of God. It is God's will for us to be here, have our faith strengthened. I want you, when you go out of this place, to believe God's promises better than when you came in. The enemy will come in and, and lie to you about something. You say, hold it, wait a minute, hold it. Time out here. The, God, the promise of God is X, Y, Z. And I don't believe that, Satan. That's God's will for you to respond like that. And that's what I want for you. And I want for you when you face the stuff at your job, when you face the stuff at your house, when you face the stuff in, your, in uh, the neighborhood, in the school, wherever you're facing the lies of the enemy, that the promises of God just come through and they just look like bright shining lights. And this looks like a stupid lie from somebody that just doesn't like you. That's the way I want us to be. I want our faith so strong and the Word of God so rich in us that we just believe it. And in that process, I want us to believe that God is going to use our arms as His arms to reach out 
and pull somebody in. And when you get through pulling them up close to you, you and they will find out that they have been pulled up close to the heart of God.